Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless. Hello, and welcome back to 50 Stars Plus, the U.S.-Switzerland podcast for the ages. I'm Alex, covering the U.S. And I'm Nicola, covering beautiful Switzerland, which Alex is soon going to visit, right? I'm very excited to visit Switzerland. I haven't been in many, many years, not since I was a little kid. Did you finally book your flight? I did, yeah. I got an excellent deal. Uh, I recommend traveling right now to people, because tickets are really cheap right now. How much did you pay for a, for a Swiss round trip? Get this. Uh, I paid uh, just under $600 for the round trip. That's a pretty good deal. I remember paying $1,400 uh, round trip when I visited Switzerland when I was living in America. Pretty good deal, yeah. Yeah, not too bad. Though, speaking of, I hope Switzerland is doing okay. Uh, I know you guys have had a lot of uh, flooding recently. A lot of Western Europe has had floods, I'm hearing. So you even heard that in, in America, the news? Yeah, we had a lot of flooding. It was uh, terrible in Germany. They had a lot of, uh, a lot of people died. Um, very tragic. In Switzerland, we, we got, uh, relatively spoken, we, we got lucky. So, uh, yeah. But uh, Germany was, uh, was, was, was hit really hard. Well, I hope everybody is okay. Um, is there anyone you know that's personally affected? Um, honestly, I do not. I know a lot of uh, colleagues from work who live in Zurich, they were hit pretty hard because Zurich was pre hit pretty hard. But I, I don't have any friends uh, who, who have their home flooded or anything. But I know a lot of people in Switzerland must have, uh, have these problems right now. And, uh, and, and yeah, deal with the insurance companies. I'm glad no one that you personally know has been affected. Uh, I'm fortunate that way too. None of my family members in Europe have been affected, none of my friends. Uh, so that's very lucky, but still wishing the best for those impacted by these floods. Thank you, thank you. And I just want to say something. Uh, I remember in San Diego, San Diego is a city, uh, it almost never rains. But as soon as it rained one time, I was living in a high-rise downtown San Diego. As soon as it rained a little bit, the elevators never worked because of so-called flooding. I mean, come on, it was a joke. <laughs> they never worked after a little bit of rainfall. So that was definitely, definitely different here in Switzerland this week. <laughs> yeah, um, I like to say in California that we're allergic to rain. Uh, whenever it happens, you know, because it's so rare, everybody loses their mind, uh, gets maybe 20 IQ points dumber. We forget how to drive. I mean, you say you forget how to drive, but for that, you first have to know how to drive and you never know how to drive. But that's another subject, okay? We're not going to get into this now. We're going to get into a coronavirus. And um, uh, Alex, how, what's the situation right now in, in America? Well, with the coronavirus, America, depending on which state you're in, is doing either very well or very poorly. Here in California, we're doing really, really well. We lead the U.S. right now in vaccinations. We're number one. And for the most part, everything here is reopened to full capacity. Uh, it's up to the business, as we said on the last episode, whether or not you wear a mask. The business gets to decide that themselves. But for the most part, most of the establishments I've been to have said uh, you don't really need a mask unless it's a restaurant that's very crowded. Then you're traveling between tables or to the bathroom. You'll need a mask for that. But uh yeah, it's, it's really good, though it is worthy of mention that uh, states with Republican leadership are generally doing very badly right now, as uh, more conservative states, 
are less likely to be vaccinated, less likely to have worn masks or followed lockdown procedures. So a lot of them are still struggling with the coronavirus right now, and their numbers are pretty bad. It's interesting that you mentioned that. We, we in, in my newspaper, uh, a colleague of mine did a, did a story about the vaccination gap also between, we called it the city and, and the land, right? And uh, obviously it's the same in America as it is in Switzerland. On, in the cities, more um, progressive uh, liberal people in, in American politics terms are, are living and, and on the land, uh, in the countryside, more, more conservative people. And it's the same in Switzerland on the countryside. Um, people are less vaccinated or less, uh, less uh, motivated to get vaccinated. Um, so I think that's a, that's a similarity. But today on the episode, we want to focus, because we talked last time about the situation, we want to focus on our government's plans, how to rebuild the country or maybe also how to um, move forward um, after the pandemic or in, in the stage we are right now in, in the pandemic. And I know Joe Biden, right, Alex, has a, has a pretty ambitious plan, which is not working out uh, 100% right now, correct? Yeah, his plan, it's a very good plan. And he's done a very good job, in my opinion, uh, because he has, you know, successfully gotten us very, very close to the herd immunity threshold when it comes to the first dose of uh, the COVID vaccination. The issue we're having right now, though, is uh, conservatives in general are more skeptical of the vaccination, and young people who are statistically less affected by the coronavirus compared to those in an older age bracket are also not returning to get their second dose. So we've got a political angle where, you know, maybe a third of the country is skeptical and they're not getting vaccinated because of that. And then we've got young people who it's very difficult to get public service announcements out to them. It's difficult to mobilize them for social issues a lot of the time. And so we've got also, you know, a good quarter to half of millennials and Gen Z folks in America who need to come back for their second dose and just still haven't. I've seen uh, I've seen uh, the the video of, of Olivia Rodrigo. She's a famous singer and especially popular with with teenagers, I believe, and with uh, young adults. We're already a little bit um, too old, I guess, for her music. Sounds weird yeah, to say that, but I've 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 seen she I've seen I've seen she was in the White House and uh, the the social media team of Joe Biden actually did a pretty good job of um, using her and her voice. In, the, in their social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I've seen it all week. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo with Joe Biden um, doing ads for, for vaccination. And let's see if that works out. But it's a, it's a good thing that they try to get the, 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 the generation, the younger generation involved on their platforms, right? And not with the conventional press releases, because that's just not working anymore. Yeah, I do think it was a good thing what he did. I've been seeing her on my Instagram all week as well. And, you know, I, I had no idea who she was. I just knew she was like a singer of some sort. Uh, but I thought the, you know, the ads they put out, the public messaging, it's been really, really good. And honestly, you know, I, I talked to some of my little cousins because I had no idea who Olivia Rodrigo is. I asked them if they could explain to me like what they like about her and what her best songs are and all that. And they mentioned Joe Biden. So, and they mentioned those uh, public service advertisements and announcements. So 
I'm I'm pretty sure I I'd, I'd like to say that it seems to be very effective in reaching young people. But uh, again, I'm not 100% sure who she is, but I'm totally going to check out her music after this. Man, it sounds so weird. We're talking like as if we are very old people and <laughs> and these are but No, we're only like 25. <laughs> yeah, only 25, but she's really more for like the 16, 17-year-old uh, especially women. I think young women like her a lot. So, it's not really our our target group. Anyway, uh, in Switzerland, the government is trying uh, kind of the same thing. I think they were doing it before Joe Biden did. So maybe Joe Biden was looking at uh, the Swiss government and decided to do the same thing. Uh, because uh, our Swiss health minister talked to, so, to, to some influencers and to a woman who won the Miss Switzerland contest. That's a, a bikini contest. Uh, and uh, she, she's very famous in Switzerland. So she used, he, the Swiss uh, health minister, used these influencers um, to, to make some uh, advertisement that people get vaccinated. Because, Alex, we have uh, similar problems. Um, I think we've met the threshold of 50% vaccinated with uh, one shot um but um the, the the speed is 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 really lagging now like um yeah uh, there are a lot of uh, appointments open at the hospitals and people are not getting vaccinated anymore at the, at the speed we were hoping for so uh, we faced similar problems yeah it's difficult because i think you know a lot of young people feel invincible uh i certainly felt invincible when i was like 18 or 19 uh, I did some really, really stupid stuff as a result. Um, and I, I think, you know, like in Switzerland and also here in the U.S., our governments are seem to have been doing the best they could. Um, you know, as you know, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the previous administration here in the U.S., but I think Operation Warp Speed was done pretty well. Uh, credit where it's due for that. Uh, I know Jared Kushner also played a really, really big role in that. Uh, larger than his father-in-law, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, props for that to that administration. And also, uh, you know, since Biden took over, uh, he mobilized vaccine production with the uh, Defense Production Act. Uh, I think that's 1951 is when that was passed. And he's just been very effective as an administrator because of his decades of governmental experience. He understands how the different levers of government work, how to get them to work at their most efficient. And he's done a very good job. But yeah, like you said, Nicola, young people uh, are not as enthused about getting vaccinated. They kind of just all want to go clubbing. <laughs> um, I, I admit I kind of want to go clubbing too, but I, I haven't yet since, since stuff reopened. I actually have been just on Friday. It was my first time since I'm back in Switzerland. So it was really exciting. But I want to I wanna tell our uh, listeners real quick, that was a historic moment. Alex Wyckoff uh, gave credit to our former, uh, to the American former president, Donald Trump. And just to explain Operation Warp Speed for the people who don't know what that is, that was, uh, Alex, correct me, that that was a, a multi-billion dollar plan um, so American scientists um, can um, can uh, develop an, uh, a vaccine against the coronavirus uh, pretty fast, right? Yeah. So basically, you know, Donald Trump sees this virus is happening and obviously uh, he needs to rush to try and develop a vaccine. So Operation Warp Speed was that attempt where he put a bunch of his senior administration officials in charge of that. And he said, hey, I'm going to throw billions and billions of dollars at this, we need to make a vaccine before anyone else does. 
and it was a huge success, admittedly. Honestly, I, I totally agree. It was probably one of the biggest successes of of Donald Trump's four years, but we're not going to talk about Donald Trump uh, today any longer. Um, I want to know, Alex, um, from uh, the American perspective, uh, what's 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 the way forward? We all talk about vaccination and blah, blah, blah. But there are scientists saying, guys, you know, the Delta variant, for example, it's it's maybe the vaccines are not as effective as effective against the Delta variant. And we can see another wave of infection in, in fall. That's what they're saying in Switzerland. So vaccinations are not the whole solution to the problem. So what, what is the America doing, you know, besides getting people vaccinated? Well, uh, right now, the, the thing that we're all talking about is how people who are vaccinated, yes, they can be affected by the Delta variant, but if they are, the symptoms are usually much more mild as opposed to people who have only one dose or who don't have either of their doses are obviously a lot more susceptible. So what we're going to be seeing, I think, is uh, there will be a divide between cities as opposed to more rural areas. There will be a divide between liberal as to more conservative areas. And it'll be those rural and those conservative communities that I think see a harsher impact from the Delta variant. I do foresee that states will have to implement partial lockdown measures again, and that will be pretty tough for the political fortunes of whoever is in charge at that time. I do not foresee a return to full lockdowns, though. I think we're we're past that, uh, but we'll see. And definitely we're seeing the Biden administration and also state level governments are really trying to step up their messaging efforts. They're working with, you know, local groups such as the Salvation Army uh, and other like nonprofits to try and just get word out and also set up more and more vaccination clinics, especially in places that maybe struggle to get access. In in Switzerland, it's a very weird uh, feeling right now because the pandemic kind of seems over a little bit. I mean, in public transport, yes, you still need to wear a mask. And uh, in the office, when you walk around, okay, you need to wear a mask. But that's pretty much it. When you're vaccinated, you have a lot, you have all the freedoms back. But the numbers are rising exponentially again. And we, when we go slowly, late summer, into the fall, people coming back from their vacations. I mean, um, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that the numbers are going to go up. But in my in my opinion, and I voice that very strongly, you know, we should not look only. We should not only check the numbers of of cases. We should see how many hospitalizations do we have, or deaths going up. Because I also agree with you. I don't foresee any other lockdowns. I think we are past that. Maybe you also have to say in Switzerland, we never had a lockdown. Um, it was only only shutdowns. We were always able to to walk outside and stuff, similar to California. And uh, I, I really don't see a, a way that the government could force people who are vaccinated to be locked down uh, in their rooms again and um, close restaurants. I, I, I cannot see that the Swiss public would, uh, would accept that. I think there would be much more, um, much more anger voiced from the Swiss public than it was the, the lo- for the last uh, 18 months, because um, people would not understand it if they were able to get vaccinated, that there are full lo- lockdowns again. Yeah, I, for, I do foresee potentially that, um, and maybe Switzerland will do this too, but something we're talking about in the US is, you know, when you get vaccinated here, you get a vaccine card, 
I don't know if that's true for Switzerland as well, but it, I assume it is. And perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, you get a vaccine card. And so here we're talking about maybe a vaccine card or a vaccine passport to where if you have one and it shows that you're vaxxed, uh, you can get into places. And I think I would be okay with that. I don't know how I would feel about the government mandating it. I haven't uh, thought enough about it yet. But I think it would be good if establishments, you know, business, private businesses, uh, got to decide that themselves. So, like, a private restaurant would have a sign that says, you can't eat here without a vaccine passport. And that's that restaurant's decision to do that. I think that would be a good start right now. And whether or not the government should mandate that places do that, uh, let's see where we are in the fall before uh, we start talking about an extreme measure like that. So we have that already, Alex. The government mandated it. If you wanna, if you wanna open your club, your nightclub, you have, you can only let in, let in people who have the so-called COVID certificate. And there are three ways to get this COVID certificate. Number one, in Switzerland, you're vaccinated. Number two, you get a negative coronavirus test, which is only valid for 72 hours. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's only like three days. And the third way is if you already had COVID-19 and you're fully um, uh, well again, you know. Um, so one of the three, and you, then you get the COVID vaccine, uh, COVID certificate, and you can go clubbing. You can even go to festivals. You can go into the soccer stadium. So very important that you bring your vaccination card to Switzerland when you come, Alex, so we can uh, enjoy Switzerland to the fullest. Because with no vaccine card, no COVID certification, yeah, there, there's going to be problems with what we can do. <laughs> you know, what's funny is um, I've started keeping it uh, in my passport. So I have my little area in my room where I store my, like, travel documents, like my birth certificate and everything. And, um, yeah, I have my passport and my vaccination card is tucked away inside my passport. I have a little sticker that keeps it in there just in case. Right, right. Cool. Um so as we have said in the beginning of the podcast, uh, we're going to have Emily on in just a few seconds. But first, um, we continue our little game. And the game is very easy to explain. I'm going to ask Alex in this uh, uh, season of our podcast every uh, second week when we release a podcast, a question about Switzerland. And he's going to ask me a question about America and we keep scores. And in the first episode, um, we agreed on the punishment for the guy who loses. So if you're interested in what we have to do if we lose, you can go back and listen to the first episode. Alex, your turn. Uh, you want me to start by asking uh, you my question first? Yes, I would prefer that. So I can get, uh, I can get into the lead again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, here's one. Uh, Nicola, you had the opportunity to travel quite a bit when you were in the U.S., and uh, you learned a lot of our history. I know you even took an online uh, certificate course from Harvard University while you were here. So I want to know if you know this. Which presidents are on Mount Rushmore? Oh, damn. Uh, damn, that's, that's embarrassing because I have to know. George Washington. Uh, then uh, I know the other one, Franklin. Right? I'm pretty confident it's Franklin. George Washington? Uh, yeah, Franklin. No? Who else uh, Who else are you thinking, though? Uh, so, two. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's a third one. And uh, um, 
Oh, damn it. Um, wait, give me a second. Uh, I have to pass, I guess. I really have to pass. Yeah, it's not Barack Obama. It's not a. It's an older one. <laughs> it's not Barack Obama. I don't know. I'm gonna say Eisenhower, just so I said something. It is not Eisenhower. Uh, it is our first president, George Washington. Um, our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Our sixteenth president, Abraham Lincoln. And admittedly, I don't know what number president he is, but. Uh, you're correct to name a Roosevelt, but it is not Franklin Roosevelt. It is Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, I mean, uh, it's uh, Lincoln. Uh, I, I should have known. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's embarrassing. Okay. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So still 1-1. One, one. I'm going to give you uh, my question. It was a very good question. I should have known it. Um um, I've mentioned it uh, last time and um, we did a post on Instagram about this, Alex, or we're going to do a post on Instagram about this. Um, we talked about 4th of July on our last episode, um, the Independence Day of America. When is Switzerland celebrating its uh, national day? Ah, easy peasy. Uh, I'm sad that I'll just barely miss this by a couple of weeks. Uh, it's August 1st, but we can celebrate a little bit late when I, when I get there. Amazing. Yeah, it's August 1st. Great. And uh, we're going to celebrate later. Yeah, definitely. All right, Alex, congrats. Two to one for you. Oof, two one. Let's go. All right. We'll be back after a quick break. And when we're back, we're going to be introducing a very special guest, our first ever guest appearance here on 50 Stars Plus. We're back. And now Nicola is going to introduce our guest. So, well, we have Emily on, our first guest ever uh, in a podcast. Hi, Emily. Hi. So, everybody, Emily is a mom. She's a business owner and she's also an influencer. Emily is a consultant for Closet Genève. That's a Geneva, the city, as probably a lot of Americans know it, and she's selling their high-end, second-hand items. So if you have anything uh, high-end you want to sell, hit her up. We're going to put her handle also on Instagram, of course. I said it, Emily is a mom, business owner, and influencer. Emily grew up in Switzerland, and uh, when she was a teenager, she told me she watched uh, Beverly Hills 210 and um, yeah she kind of saw the American dream and she wanted to live in California so she moved to beautiful San Diego and um, she studied there and she just stayed there met her husband started a family uh, lived there for over two decades and last year though she decided to move back home to Switzerland in the midst of the global pandemic as we're still in and we have her on and we would like to know um, as she has lived in both countries and uh, what her experiences are and why she decided to move back home to Switzerland during the pandemic. So, Emily, um, yes, maybe tell us, start telling us what made you move back home after living over 20 years, I think it was, right, in San Diego. What made you move back home to Switzerland? 
2023. Well, good evening and thank you so much for having me. It's a it's an honor. Um, thank you. Um, so as we all know, 2020 was a very tough year, I think, on everyone. And um, I was following since January the pandemic in Europe. I mean, obviously, I have a lot of friends here and our family and um I kind of saw the wave coming and I was quite prepared for confinement, but not confinement as long as we were put into. And um, there was a lot of things going on in 2020 that sort of were blurring my vision to continue life uh, rationally, I guess, not rationally, but, you know, sort of in a healthy way. Um, and so my son, uh, I have two boys, I have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. And my son, uh, school closed. And uh, he was left with, uh, I mean, they, they started online immediately. Uh, but my son has um, problems with focus. And he's a very social being. And if those things are missing, um, he didn't do well. So they started online immediately. And I very soon realized that he couldn't follow online. And he wasn't doing anything. Um, even when the class was getting together and having chats, he was more interested in doing the emojis in the chat. And he couldn't focus on anything academic. And um, so two boys um, at home, the husband at home as well. Uh, it was getting quite tough. So, uh, And then there was the political climate, which was getting very competitive and very vicious. And made you practically feel like you were living maybe in what I would describe as a corrupt country a little bit. And then um, there was George Floyd. And um, that really hit me hard. And all the protests. And I couldn't really argue that um, this policeman didn't fail this gentleman. And um, we kept seeing all these protests and these protests got dangerous. And then finally, um, yeah, I think all this was just affecting our daily life. And we just, uh, I approached my husband and I said, something's got to change. I'm not sure what, but we've got to do something differently because it's just not working. It's a lot of completely understandable. Um, really glad you were thinking, you know, what's best for your family, for your kids. And yeah, it's very, very chaotic here right now. Uh, I wouldn't blame anyone who wants to move, who has the opportunity to do so. Definitely 2020, I think, showcased a lot of the vulnerabilities of American society and revealed some of the underlying political and social tensions we've had for a very long time that, frankly, we've maybe deluded ourselves into believing we had dealt with and erased already. No, it's very true. And I think um, what what the two things I was really thinking of before we were going to do this podcast, because we're comparing Switzerland and America, and there's two things that are very important for me to say before we start. I mean, the scale of Switzerland versus America is huge, right? We're talking about a massive country and a very small country. So it's hard to compare the two, I think, you know, in all fairness. And also... Um, my experience is Southern California. So we, we're going to discuss the US, but I've only lived in Southern California. So my experience is solely based on living there. And I think my judgment comes from Southern California, not the entire United States. Right, right. No, that's that's clear. And, um, and um, you know, 
you you're absolutely right but i think what 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 is uh, what is true that affected you and your family uh, in southern california can also be true in other parts of america because we're talking about obviously about the the local government the state government but also about the the federal government and i think that the blm protests was something nationwide right and and the coronavirus pandemic was something worldwide and i i was listening to you emily and and it it sounds uh, I mean, it sounds like a tough ca challenge having a husband at home who has to work. You have to work. You have two children. Um, is it fair to say that you were a little bit scared um, also with the protests, with the pandemic, with so much in America? It's very, it's very fair. And it is the first time in living in San Diego in my little life. Uh, it's the first time in 22 years that I actually woke up scared. I wasn't sleeping well. I mean, I, I guess... You can, you can say anxiety. It was anxiety. And um, too many people are armed and you never know what they're going to do. And these pe people were getting very fired up about issues. And I, t I told my husband immediately when confinement was coming, I said, you know, and I, I, I hope it's fair to say, but Americans don't really like to be told what to do and they like their right to freedom. And you're taking away their freedom. You're telling them they have to sit in their house and you're telling them to wear a mask. And there was such a, a, a loud uh, protest about that by the people that you would actually see it daily in a grocery store. And you would witness these people fighting against wearing their masks. And I found it rather, first of all, rather selfish, but it's also like, okay, we have been advised to do this for the well-being of our community I, I didn't think it was fair to fight it. And yes, I, yes, I was scared to answer your question. There's a lot, uh, there were a lot of people who were very actively aggressive and sometimes violent about it. Uh, like, you know, even in the midst of thousands of people dying a day, uh, I had an experience myself where I watched someone get yelled at for wearing a mask uh, just in a grocery store and I was shopping. Someone who was anti-mask was yelling at someone else calling them a sheep, uh, calling them a, what did they say, a, a Chinese shill, uh, a lot of really ugly language. And that was very common. A lot of people I know talked about seeing incidents like that too. Yeah, the language. I, I think the language is a huge thing to bring up. It felt like last year, maybe because of the presidency we had, but people suddenly had this right to walk out of their house and say whatever they wanted to whoever they wanted and got there was violence and there was aggressiveness that I felt was becoming out of control. And um, I found, you know, I was very shocked. And please, Alex, tell me what his name was. But I think the one that broke the camel's back for me, too, was when this young man We were discussing it yesterday, um, but there's this young man that um, walked out to this protest. He was 19 years old. He had a gun and he shot two protesters and uh, he walked by the police. He came across he crossed states and he was 19 and he shot these two protesters. Then he walked through the police and he, he went home. Well, I don't know where he went afterwards. And then he got arrested and then people were fighting to set him free. That is a mentality that I couldn't really align myself with, to be honest. You mean, um, that's Kyle Rittenhouse uh, is who you're referring to. Exactly. Yeah. Quick correction to the age. He was actually 17 when this was all happening. 
I know that's uh, maybe that's not uh, not really heartwarming to hear. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. Uh, it's uh, it, it it is just it's it's just crazy. And now you move back to Switzerland, Emily, in the midst of all this. And when you came, I mean, you moved from a million uh, people city uh, as San Diego is to a one thousand two hundred um uh, with a village with 1200 people in it uh, a re very small swiss village so how did it change your experience with coronavirus and with all of it ah um well i grew up in this village um so i knew where i was coming and the way it happened is that the day i told my husband okay we need to change some things he said well let's make this move to switzerland that we've always wanted to do and i was like no this is way too much to handle But he, um, we called the Swiss embassy. They gave, gave us the right to go because I have a Swiss passport and so do my children. And we packed our suitcase in one week and closed the door and moved. And the minute we came back here, COVID wasn't great in Switzerland. I mean, we've been confined most of the time we've been here. But it took all the fear away, all the stress away. I live in a very small village. The kids went back, were in school, no masks, um, providing the children with this sense of safety that nothing was really, not nothing was going on, but that they were safe and they had a place to go and they had a place to socialize. That took a huge weight off of us that the kids could go to school. My, my son's old school, the kids went back in, but they had to wear a mask every day and they were kept in bubbles. So they couldn't really play with the other kids of his grade. And I didn't want to bring that stress upon my son or us for that matter. So we came, we found an Airbnb in the same village as where my parents live and we signed up the kids and the news is different. The, the way people behave is massively different. I mean, I have this great example where on a Friday night, the government said, as of tomorrow, everybody is required to wear masks outside. And we went to my son's football game at 8 a.m. and outside every single parent had a mask on and it seems like a very small difference but we were hit by that so hard because we said to ourselves okay people behave here they follow the rules and it, in a time of a pandemic it was incredibly reassuring i'm struck by what you've just said um i personally can't imagine it actually i absolutely i can't visualize seeing something like that in my mind because I'm so used to what you've been describing in the US. Americans really love their individuality and they really, really don't like the masks. Well, that's a massive difference that my, even my, my husband's American and he couldn't wait to go back to America for just, you know, because he missed it. And he went back for 10 days and he immediately noticed that different attitude because Here we live in this tiny village and we know the butcher now by name and we know the baker and we walk to these places and everybody seems to really take care of the community. They like the well-being of the people. And I don't feel that, I didn't feel, I'd never feel that. And well, not never because I have close friends, but you very rarely feel that people are really looking after the community, nor the government, to be honest. They're looking, it's a race, you know, Biden, Trump. I mean, we're going to say those names in this podcast, Right. Trump and Biden were fighting and it was it was stressful because it was like, listen, people are dying. What are we focusing on? I think the focus is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Politics has really gotten out of control here where everything is a competition. We 
deployed Operation Warp Speed, which Nicola and I talked about earlier in this podcast. And we we didn't do it uh, in order to get the vaccine to people as quickly as possible. We did it so that we could sell the vaccine as quickly as possible and profit. Uh, and we did it so we could beat out, you know, countries like Cuba, for example, who are who came to their own vaccines independently and are distributing those for free. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's the capitalism in it, isn't it? I mean, you tell me you're you're the politics, but I feel like there's a capitalism has a massive place in the United States. Really does. I would say we um, we take it maybe too seriously. We conflate the idea of capitalism with the idea of markets oftentimes, in my view. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind a brief subject change, something I'm curious about is. Uh, even before the coronavirus, you know, U.S. education hasn't always been the best. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten a very good first-hand look at that, as you've got a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. Uh, your oldest has been in elementary school a few years now. I'm wondering, uh, coronavirus things aside, uh, what differences do you observe in education for children uh, that your kids are experiencing in Switzerland's school system as opposed to the U.S.? So I have to say that my my children were at an international school uh, in San Diego. Um, what I loved, my, my son loved, it's the first time that he told me that he loved going to school here. The main reason was because there's no fences around the school. You know, it's there's no, in his old school, there were fences all around and all the fences were topped so that people could not see through. And we had a full-time security guard. These are the things that here he didn't experience. He, If he wanted, he could walk out, walk home at recess. I mean, the you know, it's all open. And he said the children are nice. The people, actually the people, his teacher really paid attention to him, him as an individual and the needs that my son uh, has, because my son has needs that other children don't have. And um, they did a lot of art. There was a lot of time dedicated to music, art, sports, um, which his international school in the U.S. was very academic. And here he, he came home with the most incredible art. And I'm like, you made this? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I did. And it was he really liked this creative education where he could, he could put his creativity in. And we discovered something that we didn't know he even had. And for how his brain works, that's that was more adapted. We all did. Yeah. You know, it's, we all did. Oh, that sounds so lovely. I'm glad he had such a great experience and he's continuing to have such a great experience. It's, it's pretty amazing. And uh, Emily, uh, yourself, you were a teacher in American elementary uh, school teacher. So is it, I mean, you, okay, you know, you, your son went to a, a private school in, in San Diego, but uh, isn't it true? I've heard that from friends, Swiss friends who studied six months in, in an American university that um, academically, um, the, 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 the universities where you also have attended as a, as a student back in the days, and but also elementary school, high school, are just, uh, it's just different, on, on a different level than, than Swiss schools. Is that maybe also something that, that, that why you move back to Switzerland, that maybe your son can get the Swiss education rather than the, the, the American education? 
I'm not, so even though I'm an American qualified teacher, I did, I chose to actually not put my child in the American teaching system. So he's in an, inter, they, and they, they're changing schools, but they're going to another international school uh, because they go, they go to bilingual school. Um, so they're educated in, in another language. And um, I, t I taught in a very wealthy area of San Diego. And then I taught, it, uh, before that, I taught in a very poor area of San Diego. And it was a fantastic um, difference. And I loved it so much. Um, unfortunately, because I had some health issues, I had to stop teaching. But it was the best job I ever did because you, in, in the less wealthy area, you really provided something fantastic for the children. But what I was providing was less educational. It was more care, love. You know, these children had nothing at home. Their parents were working around the clock and It was more giving, keeping them safe for the eight hours they were with me. So the, my mission there was absolutely fantastic. In the wealthier school, it was academics. And I still loved working with the children because I, I love that. But it was more academic space. They had a stable environment at home. Um, so compared to Switzerland... I think we have a higher level of education. I mean, when I went to USD, uh, they gave me half a semester uh, like that. I didn't have to do four years. I graduated in three and a half years because I did a baccalaureate. Um, so they, they valued our studies, I think, better than the American system because they immediately give, gave me six months. So I graduated university in three and a half years. I have a, have a feeling you're, you're, both of your sons, as a result of going to a Swiss school will come out much better at geography and language, 100%. Yeah, there's, there's fundamentals that are missing, I think, in the American education. Although, I think if you have a child with difficulties, you, I've, what I've learned with experience, and I'm, I'm not talking about my son in particular, but at children in need, they're better off in public schools in, uh, in the US because the public school system is obliged to provide them with support. In, a, in private schools, you, you're not. You're not held to those standards. So if your kid is, you know, dyslexic or ADHD, they don't have a system to walk you through that, whereas in public schools, they do. So, yeah. Here, here we didn't have to worry about that. They were all mixed in one class, and the teacher was, you know, really loving my son. And she understood my son very quickly, and she was so... People are so kind. I'm not saying they're not kind in America, But people in Switzerland are just so kind and community-driven. They want to help your children. They want to help you. I don't know. I've had we've had a wonderful experience, but I'm Swiss too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, last question. You know, I mean, I, just because you 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 said that about the kindness. I mean, when I came to America, people are much. Uh, I, I I I have to I have to speak against you. They're much kinder in, in, in when you go to a restaurant. Everybody's smiling at 7 a.m., at 8 a.m. in San Diego. They give you a smile when you go to a 7-Eleven shop. And when I'm in Zurich and I, I go to a, to a kiosk or something, nobody's going to smile at me. So uh, I know you mean something else by kind. But like this overall kindness you see on a daily life, I feel like in San Diego it's much more there than it is in Switzerland, isn't it? Oh, I'm thinking about my answer to you here because I know what I have to say about it. But, um, you know, that's one thing I miss about the U.S. is they are excellent at customer service. They are excellent at providing you with a good experience. And that's, the, that's their goal, right? So you come into a restaurant and the hostess is 
very excited and she has a huge smile on her face and she's going to take you to your table and she's going to make you feel like you're, you're God's gift to the world. But she's going to turn her head and the, the smile is gone. You know, she's doing, and I'm trying not to be harsh because I'm not, gen, I don't want to generalize, but in Switzerland, everybody complains that it's hard to make friends. I see all these TikTok videos and like how to make friends in San Diego and they, they show no, re, no ways to do it. And I find, you know, I find it easier to have a relationship here. I met some two very good friends over the last year and we tell each other everything already because there's this trust. And I find that trust to build in the U.S. much harder. And I feel like, and please correct me, Alex, if I'm wrong, but I feel like Americans are much better fitting into roles and Today I'm going to be work me, and tonight I'm going to be another me. And I, I I value the consistency in in the European mentality where you get me. I'm not this. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm making sense and, and and if I'm getting my point across. But I don't want to be too harsh either. But it's it's this idea that I find it very hard to build very deep relationships in San Diego. I would agree with you there. Uh, what you're referring to. Uh, social scientists call this um, code change, the idea that you uh, flip your mannerisms and how you present yourself based on your situation. Like, I have a uh, family Alex for family events. I have a work Alex for when I'm trying to be professional. And then I've got, you know, like the regular personal Alex for when I'm just with my friends or uh, hosting a party or something. Yeah, we very much do that. I think Americans are excellent at small talk, for the most part. It's one of the things I love about America is I can go to 7-Eleven, I can go to Subway, and I can chat with the cashier for a good 10 minutes, assuming there's no line for food, about whatever their passions are, what they care about, what sports teams they've followed their whole life. Uh, but at the same time, it is also the case that it is harder to form trusting, intimate, friendships here. And I remember when I first met Nicola, actually, a few years ago, one of the first things he said to me was, I'm not looking for just a shallow friendship. I'm looking for friends who I can, you know, share very personal things with and be real with. And that struck me at the time because I thought, yeah, that's what I look for in a friend as well. And in the US, that's very difficult to find sometimes. And so immediately that gave me a good impression of Nicola. And even last night, uh, I was volunteering at an event for San Diego Pride, and uh, I made friends with a couple new people, got their numbers to hang out sometime, and the people whose numbers I got happened to both be Europeans, actually, uh, rather than any Americans that I met that day, because even though the Americans were very friendly, the Europeans, uh, one was a French guy, one was a German guy, uh, I immediately hit it off with them much more easily. The conversation flowed naturally, and it seemed we were both very willing to be genuine with one another. And Americans can be more guarded than that, I think. I'd like to know what Nicola thinks about um, you meeting the French guy and Alex saying that they're more outgoing, because that goes kind of... I find Americans more outgoing... Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, I know Americans are definitely much more outgoing. And when I first met Alex, I was probably 
much less outgoing than uh, another American guy would have been when he would have met Alex. But, um, I mean, it was very kind words of you, Alex, obviously. But, um, you know... <laughs> Nah, you know, I don't know what to say. No, I mean, uh, it, it is true, obviously, that I think Swiss people after one, two hours, when they warm up a little bit, and I mean, I know the first time we met each other, we went to we went to a bar and, and had a talk, and then after two, three beers, you know, we warm up too. And um, and um, I, I mean, I was new in San Diego, so I was looking for, for good friends and not just only friends, like, you know, kind of the friends, let's have lunch sometime or let's go out in a few weeks. And Alex was one of the very few Americans, actually, only two Americans, uh, with uh, where I where I get a got a close re relationship, friendship. Most of my other friends were internationals, French people, people from Africa, but not Americans. So Alex is really an exception, and uh, and uh, that's maybe also why he comes to Switzerland to visit me this summer, which is uh, obviously uh, something I look forward to. Yes, so I think that's a good note to end the podcast. I want to say. Thank you so much, Emily, for taking the time. It was very interesting. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Best of luck to you in your move. And we uh, hope we get to talk to you again sometime soon. All the best to you. Good luck to you all. <laughs> all right. Thanks to our listeners. And if you enjoyed this uh, episode, tell your friends, um, share it and uh, like us on our social media pages. We would be very happy also for your feedback. Thank you a lot. If you like our content, please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at 50 stars plus that's five zero stars, S T A R S plus P L U S. Thank you so much.